Hey, Crime Salad listeners, welcome back to another episode of Crime Salad. I'm your host, Ashley. And I'm Ricky. And we're here to talk true crime. But before we do, we would love to shout out a few of our new patrons this week. We have Bonnie, William, Ruth, Gaylene, Amy, Diana, and Betty. Thank you all so much for supporting our podcast. Enjoy the ad-free episodes and bonus content coming soon. Well, let's jump in. Let's do it. Today's episode features discussion of gun violence, death, and police misconduct. Please be advised. So imagine for a second that you're being interrogated for a murder, your girlfriend's murder, to be precise. But you're having a hard time grasping that she even died. Your memory of what happened, or even your memory of your girlfriend's age and last name, are blurry at best. And the words you want to say aren't coming out right, and the determined detective sitting across from you won't let up. You're trying to cooperate, but your head is throbbing with pain, and your eye is swollen shut and bleeding, because you've just been shot in the head twice and survived it, only to be arrested for a crime you didn't commit. Unfathomable as it may seem, this is exactly what happened to 17-year-old Ryan Waller on December 26, 2006. But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's go back to the beginning. Ryan Waller was born on February 12, 1988, in Phoenix, Arizona. And from an early age, Ryan was interested in music. His father, Don Waller, said that Ryan was an excellent guitarist who had taught himself to play at just 11 years old. So apparently, Ryan could hear a song and figure out how to play it in just five minutes. So naturally, Ryan was excited to have recently graduated from high school so that he could play music with his friends and spend more time with his girlfriend, Heather Kwan. Heather was born on April 10th, 1985, and she and Ryan had known each other since they were young kids. And Heather was attending U of A at the time and was hoping to get into law school to become a prosecutor. By 2006, they'd been dating for six to eight months, and Heather had recently moved into the house Ryan shared with his roommate, Alicia. Now, originally when Ryan had moved into that house that fall, there was a male roommate living with him named Eric who had since moved out. And just prior to Ryan moving into that house, Eric had kicked out his troublemaking roommate, Richie Carver, who had a rap sheet long enough to circle the cul-de-sac. By the time the early aughts had rolled around, Richie had been arrested for aggravated assault against his father and was involved in the assaults of many others. He had even committed armed robbery. And according to Ryan's dad, Don Waller, when Richie was 17, he allegedly walked up to a car at a traffic stop, stabbed the driver, and stole his wallet and CDs, leading to a four-year prison sentence. But because Richie was a minor at the time, there are no records to be found addressing this as a reason for his incarceration. However, a prison psychiatrist's evaluation from 2000 would indicate that he was indeed in prison around that time. 
And that psychiatrist's evaluation makes Richie sound like a person that it would be wise to stay far, far away from. It reads as follows. Richie's moral structure is so weak that his internal control mechanism, his conscience, has no influence over his body. That is, he is able to violate himself and others with the same ease as he is able to take a drink of water. Adding to his weak moral structure is a sense of underlying anger. Finally, Richie is very impulsive. I would rate the potential for Richie to act out in the future in the high-risk range. It is not surprising that several of Richie's referrals involve assault, for he could not care less about the rights of others. Although he has been detained several times, he has learned little from his detention experiences. And all of this to say that it's no wonder that Eric had felt the need to kick Richie out. I mean, it's this humble host's opinion that this dude sounds like an unhinged psychopath. But what do I know? Some articles about this case allege that Richie and Ryan had lived together at one point, but this is untrue. In fact, they had only a handful of interactions, one of them being Richie snooping around in the backyard after he'd already moved out. And what was he doing in the backyard? Well, Richie had claimed that he was looking for his iguana that had escaped because it only comes out at night. I don't know much about iguanas, but that sounds like a lie. It seems far more likely that he was doing something shady or up to no good. Despite the fact that they'd never actually lived together, Don Waller had his own theories about why Richie might have taken an interest in Ryan. On December 23, 2006, Heather and Ryan ordered a pizza. Tragically, the pizza delivery guy was the last person to see Heather alive and well. Two days later, Heather and Ryan were enjoying a quiet Christmas day together, and their only plans were to have Christmas dinner at Dawn's house that night. At some point that evening, Ryan heard a knock at the door and went to answer it. To his shock, he saw Richie and his dad, Larry Carver, standing there, armed. Now, let's just pause for a second to focus on Larry Carver. Much like his son, Richie, Larry was a criminal. And at this point, he had previously been arrested six times for domestic violence, assault, and theft. Clearly, the apple didn't fall from the tree, and it was Richie who ended up enlisting his dad to help him rob the house. I mean, because that's a father-son outing fit for Christmas Day, right? Okay, so back to Ryan's house. Upon seeing that Richie and Larry were armed, Ryan quickly shut the door. But Richie reached his gun in the door and shot Ryan in the head, causing him to fall backwards. Richie and Larry Carver then burst through the door, shooting Ryan in the head once more. The first bullet entered the right side of Ryan's nose and exited through the left side. It shattered his orbital socket. The second shot went into his head behind his ear. Richie and Larry then headed over to the couch where Heather was napping and shot her in the head, instantly killing her. At that point, they stole what they could and fled. But little did they know that despite being shot in the head twice, Ryan Waller was still alive. Meanwhile, Don Waller was starting to get alarmed. Ryan and Heather hadn't showed up for dinner, and they also hadn't been answering their phones. 
So he drove over to the house with Ryan's mom to check on them. He knocked on the front door and got no answer. The garage was shut, so he couldn't tell if Ryan was home. But he knew that his son would have at least told him he'd be missing Christmas dinner, and if everything was okay, he'd explain why. So at around 7.50 p.m., he decided to contact the police and request a welfare check. And from the moment they got involved, the Phoenix Police Department made critical mistake after critical mistake. And according to Don, he phoned the police at around 7.50, but they didn't arrive until three and a half hours later. And at some point between the time they made the first call and the time the officer called back, Don and Ryan's mom left the house and went and got some coffee for about 15 to 20 minutes. During the time they were gone, Ryan's roommate Alicia came home. She came in through the front and she didn't see Ryan or Heather. Finally, at around midnight, the police arrived at the house. They knocked on the windows and the doors, but Alicia didn't get the door because she was in her room and just assumed that Ryan would get it. They started looking through the windows and peering past the vertical blinds, and an officer told Don that he could see that there was an unresponsive body in the house. They then had Don and Ryan's mom step back as they set up a perimeter around the house. And then, inexplicably, the police waited to get a search warrant to enter the house. So the thing is here, they didn't need a search warrant because they'd seen a motionless, unresponsive body through the window. And officers are allowed to enter any space without a warrant if they see a person they believe to be injured in order to save that person's life. But they claimed that because the house was a rental, they needed a warrant. However, this is inaccurate. Their completely unnecessary decision to get a warrant took another full hour. Then, instead of busting in through the doors or windows, as one might do when attempting to save someone's life, they called the department locksmith, who tried to pick the front lock. And when that didn't work, they went around to the back and they tried to pick the lock of one of the back doors. There were two doors in the back of the house, a sliding door that led to the kitchen, and a single door leading to the master bedroom. It was at this time a groggy, severely black-eyed Ryan opened the door for them. And then three minutes later, Ryan was handcuffed and led to a police car. Don saw it all happening, but he didn't realize it was Ryan at first. Here's him explaining the situation in his This Is Monsters interview. 75 feet back, and I was on one side of the cul-de-sac, and his mother was on the other side, and as they're bringing this person out, I could see the side of whoever's face, whoever they were bringing out, I could see there was damage to the face, and his mom that was on the other side, she said, that's Ryan. And so, as they put him in the police car, I tried to go into the police car, and this officer comes up and he says, don't you dare go near that car. And I'm crying, I'm saying, sir, I just want to see if my son's okay and what's going on, and he yells at me, we're doing an investigation, you stay away from that car. And I tried to take another step towards the car to go see him because I'm very upset, obviously. And the officer steps in front of me, chest bumps me, and he says, take another step, take another step. And he's taunting me, and here I'm crying. I'm in a few minutes later, a fire truck and an ambulance pulled up. But paramedics didn't check on Ryan at all, even though he had been at the scene and his injuries were obvious. Ryan was in the police car for four hours. Not to mention, he was inside the house with two bullet wounds in his head for at least five hours before that.
At 5 a.m. on December 26th, Ryan was brought to the police station where he was photographed and then led to a room where he would be soon interrogated by lead detective Paul Dalton. And the infamous tape of this interrogation is the main reason why we know about Ryan and the mishandling of this case. In this video, we first see Ryan alone in the interrogation room. And even with the grainy footage, you can see that he has a severely blackened eye that is completely swollen shut and two dark bloody marks on either side of his nose. Ryan seems confused and sees that there is a set of handcuffs attached to the table. He cuffs himself to the table, then he tries to get up, immediately groaning loudly. And this is even before anyone else enters the room. He's clearly unwell. Then Detective Dalton enters the room with another person who proceeds to take photographs of Ryan's bare feet for evidence. And then, despite later statements by Detective Dalton that he mistakenly believed Ryan's injuries were not worthy of hospital attention, he literally told Ryan he should go to the hospital before he even started questioning him. All right, do I get to go home? I don't know. You should go to the doctor's or you should go. Me? Yeah. Why? Is that? Yeah. Is it bad? I'd say that's really bad. I just want to go to sleep, that's it. Well, that's... If you have a concussion, you don't need to sleep. That's what the doctors will say, so... A few minutes later, Dalton read Ryan his Miranda rights and then proceeded with one of the most egregious interrogations to ever be recorded. And from the very first question that he asked, Dalton should have realized that Ryan wasn't well enough for an interrogation. He asks Ryan, what is the highest grade you went through school? And Ryan first says eighth, when in fact he graduated high school. Then, when Dalton asks again, he says, B? The poor kid can't even remember he's graduated high school, and he said the highest grade he completed was a B. And yet, Dalton just plowed ahead as if everything was totally normal. Shortly after, Detective Dalton starts asking about Heather. First of all, he can't remember that he even has a girlfriend. And although Heather's last name is Quan. Ryan says that her last name is Kaiman, in that she is 16 or 17 when she was actually 21 when she died. Do you have a girlfriend? Uh, hmm. No. You know, you know a girl named Heather? Mm-hmm. You know Heather's last name? Mm-hmm. What is Heather's last name? Um, the one that lives there right now? I guess, I don't know. If her name's Heather, what's her last name? Um, I don't know which name she's trying to use as her last one. She's trying to have a real last as her nickname, so I don't know. What nickname does she go by? She probably wants the last name, Kaiman. Kaiman? How would you spell that? With a K or a C? K. Keep going. I don't know. How old is Heather? 
16 and 17. Is she a white girl? Yeah. How did you meet Heather? I've known her since school. Okay. I don't know. You just known her from school? She used to be a business name. I don't know. She used to be do a business name? She used to be in my book named with business name. Oh, okay. She used to be in the class, your business class? Mm-hmm. Next, Dalton asks Ryan what happened to his eye. And at first, Ryan tells him that Heather hit him. Dalton responds, what happened for her to hit you in the eye like that? And the conversation continues as follows. She just hit me on accident. She was giving Christina head. She was what? She was helping Christina with her hair or something. Who's Christina? She was on the couch. Christina was on the couch. What's Christina's last name? I don't know. To be clear, only Ryan and Heather were in the house when the crime occurred, and no one named Christina was there. But it's evident that Ryan's brain injury is causing his memory to be jumbled, and he may be describing memories that took place at a completely different time and place than the previous night. As the interview goes on, Dalton asks Ryan if he knows who Alicia is. Alicia is Ryan's roommate, but he says that he doesn't know her. At one point, Ryan also says that Heather is Eric's girlfriend and not his own. And then when Dalton asks if he knows Alicia a little bit later on, Ryan says, yeah, what about her? So his confusion is evident. Dalton repeatedly asks Ryan what happened last night, and his answers are just as jumbled as before until Dalton tells him that Heather is dead. Then, Ryan's memory of what actually happened started to fall into place, though it continued to be skewed. Now, this is just a little sidebar, but it's worth reminding our listeners that although Ryan says that Richie used to be his roommate, he was actually just a previous tenant of the house before Ryan lived there. If it isn't clear already, Ryan's brain injuries are definitely affecting the accuracy of his answers. However, this didn't stop many journalists from referring to Richie as his roommate in many of the articles published about this case. Now, let's get back to the interrogation. There's a dead girl in your living room. She's dead? Yes. Heather? I don't know. I want to know what happened in your house last night. The girl on the couch is dead? I don't know if she's on the couch, she's dead. Well, these people came over. Richie and his dad. With shooting arrow, bow and darts. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. They hit me and her with those. That's it. And Heather wasn't there. And Eric wasn't there. It was just me and Heather. What was there? You and Heather were there. And then what happened? And that's it. Richie and his dad tried to break in in the back. Richie and dad? His dad? Mm-hmm. Who's Richie? I don't know. Well, you obviously know him. You know his name by he Richie. He used to live there. Was he a roommate of yours? He used to be. And they 
They hit you and they hit you? Yeah. Now it's Richie that hit you, not Heather? No, Richie and his dad. Richie and his dad. They hit you? Yes. Why? Because they're trying to get their stuff. I don't know why. Finally, the true count of what happened is starting to surface. And although it's strange that Ryan said bow and arrows instead of revolver, it's likely due to a condition called aphasia that can occur in conjunction with head injuries. Aphasia results in a person saying one thing, but they're thinking that they are saying something else entirely, like saying cookie when you meant to say forward focus. So Dalton then asks Ryan where they shot him, and he says, my eye. But Dalton isn't buying it. He responds, you got shot in the eye. With all that sass he can muster. And then he goes on to ask Ryan if he shot Heather. When Ryan says no, Dalton responds, I heard you have a lot of guns in your house. And Ryan has his head down on the table and is clearly distressed. Ryan, in fact, did not have lots of guns and only had a single revolver that was given to him by his grandfather. So Dalton was either making things up or believing a rumor. Dalton then goes on to completely dismiss Ryan's story of being shot in the eye, even though his injuries are evident and you can literally see bullet holes in his face. With a revolver in your eye? Yes. And that's Is it, it a BB gun? No, it was a real gun, man. It was just a revolver. They shot you in the eye with a revolver. You wouldn't be talking to me right now. How do you know? Was most likely you'd be dead. That's what I thought too, man. I really don't know. Okay. I really don't know, and I just want to go back to sleep and try to go back to bed. You're not going back to bed. Now, in Dalton's defense, not that we want to defend him at all, it is quite rare to survive a gunshot wound to the head, let alone two gunshot wounds to the head. According to Dr. Alan H. Weintraub, medical director of the Brain Injury Program at Denver's Craig Hospital, mortality from gunshot wounds to the brain is very high, 90%. Dr. Weintraub goes on to say, Survivors of penetrating gunshot injuries to the brain who get past the early complications can do much better in terms of outcomes than, say, from a brain injury one might see from a military blast injury or from a motorcycle accident. The idea that Ryan wasn't being given the chance to get past the early complications of his injuries by being denied medical care for so many hours makes this case especially heartbreaking. It's not until Dalton had listened to Ryan for 45 minutes, ignoring every indication that he wasn't at all well, that Dalton decided to finally take a closer look at his injuries. And finally, finally, he opted to get Ryan medical care, the care that he should have gotten the previous day. And at that point, Dalton adopted a gentler demeanor and brought in the fire department to take Ryan to the hospital. And the infuriating part is that he acted like he had known how serious Ryan's injuries were the whole time. This is my observation, he'd said. This might be an entrance, this might be an exit, and this might be an entrance into this eye. And he's acting like he has a serious head injury. Convenient, isn't it? 
that after denying Ryan's medical care for the entire night and early morning, that he can finally acknowledge the bullet holes on his face and the evidence that he had brain damage. Finally, Ryan was taken to the hospital, and at 7 o'clock in the morning, Don got the call that he'd been admitted with a bullet wound in his head and was in critical condition. Don and Ryan's mom rushed to the hospital and were told that because of the delays in getting Ryan to the hospital, an infection had set into his brain and that they wouldn't be able to perform surgery yet. They put him on antibiotics to fight the infection, and it wasn't until December 28th that it was safe for the doctors to remove the bullets from his brain. All in all, Ryan spent 35 days recovering in the hospital, and not once during that time did anyone from the Phoenix Police Department come in to talk to him. So for a month, Richie and Larry Carver were free men. Finally, three days after Ryan returned home from the hospital, detectives finally came to talk to him. Four days later, they arrested Richie Carver, and shortly thereafter, Richie's mom turned in her husband, Larry. Now, the detectives who interviewed Ryan at home did not include Detective Paul Dalton. There was talk that he'd had a family emergency, and later it was reported that he'd been assigned to another case. But it stands to reason that the Phoenix Police Department knew that Dalton had screwed up by not getting Ryan medical care, and they wanted to separate him from the case. In the months afterwards, they also tried to claim that the shooting happened on December 23rd, not the 25th, so that Ryan's delays in treatment would not appear to be their fault. Heather's autopsy originally stated that she died on December 25th between 5 and 8 p.m., but the police department later had it changed to the 23rd to back up their claim. It's clear that they would go to any lengths to avoid responsibility for Ryan's extensive injuries. But both Heather's death certificate and tombstone say that she died on the 25th. And not only that, but Detective Dalton clearly knew that the attack happened on the night of the 25th because he repeatedly asked Ryan what happened last night. Ryan's surgeries involved having a section of his brain removed. He also lost his left eye permanently and had to get a prosthetic. Almost immediately after coming home, Ryan started to experience severe seizures that he had to be medicated for. However, it only slowed them down and didn't stop them. He also experienced memory loss. Ryan and Dawn did file a lawsuit against the Phoenix Police Department, and when Detective Dalton took the stand and gave his deposition, he lied through his teeth. When asked how the fire department responded to seeing Ryan's injuries, Dalton said that they didn't think he'd been shot. The tape of the interrogation totally contradicts this, because a firefighter tells Ryan, point blank, you look like you got shot right in the face. Dalton also claimed that he'd follow up with the hospital later and that they'd confirmed that it was only an assault. This was entirely untrue, as the doctors at the hospital not only immediately determined that Ryan had been shot twice, but they performed surgery to remove the bullet from his brain. Eventually, the city of Phoenix brought in a medical expert who claimed that the six-hour delay in getting Ryan treatment wouldn't have an effect on the outcomes of Ryan's condition, which many surgeons would not have agreed with, including the expert Don Waller had found for the case. 
I had paid a $10,000 retainer for a brain surgeon out of Florida that would have came and testified something a lot different. They would have came and said that, hey, when your brain is bleeding, it's swelling. When it's swelling, damage is being caused. Every minute matters. They talk about the first hour being the golden hour. Every minute matters in something like that. And you have to get a surgeon from another state to testify because they won't testify in their own state because it's a conflict of interest. Right. So my, my brain expert specialist would have testified something. But that surgeon was never allowed to be heard. The judge accepted the testimony of the expert the police had found and threw out the case three weeks before it went to trial. So Ryan and his family received no justice for the Phoenix Police Department's misconduct. Heather's family, on the other hand, did see her killers end up behind bars. Richie was found guilty of four felony charges and is serving life in prison without the possibility of parole for the murder of Heather Kwan and the attempted murder of Ryan Waller. Larry Carver, on the other hand, almost got away with his crimes. Although Larry's wife, Cheryl Carver, initially turned him in and got him arrested, likely out of retaliation for allowing their son to take the fall on his own, she later refused to testify by claiming her right to marital privilege. Under marital privilege, one spouse cannot be forced to testify against another. And as a result, Larry's charges were then dismissed and he was released from prison as it was thought that Ryan's testimony alone would not be enough to convict him. However, in response, Heather's family fought hard to create Heather's Law, which provides an exception to marital privilege when a spouse volunteers information about their husband or wife's involvement in a crime. And once the law was passed, they had to work harder to still get it retroactively applied to Larry's case that had now been dismissed. Finally, in 2011, Larry was reindicted and found guilty on all counts and sentenced to life in prison without parole, just as his son had been. It took five long years, but finally, the men who murdered Heather and attempted to kill Ryan were both behind bars. On January 20th, 2016, Ryan Waller passed away. He had a brain bleed that ruptured, and his dad thinks the bleed may have resulted from a particularly bad seizure on a concrete grocery store floor. Because his death was the direct result of the attack by Richie and Larry Carver, Ryan's family could have pressed charges. However, knowing that both men were in prison for life without the possibility of parole, they decided that they didn't want to go through another trial. Dawn wishes that the Phoenix Police Department would take at least some responsibility for what happened to his son or offer an apology, but this is unlikely to happen. Unfortunately, their behavior up until this point makes it clear that they would rather lie and cover up the truth than hold their detective responsible for their wrongdoing. Here at Crime Salad, we can only hope that Ryan and Heather's families find some level of peace and closure after everything that they've endured. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. We will see you next time. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect.